Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Significant Stories, the History of Science podcast from Harvard University. This is a three-part series on health and healing. I'm Judy Durkin. And I'm Maya Zonis. This series will focus on traditional medical practices and remedies and their impact on the Western world. Each episode will center around a specific case study to highlight important aspects of the connections between medicinal practices across time and continents. In today's episode, Maya and I are going to talk about biopiracy, the connections between Western and traditional medicine, and the legal battle that ensued in the 1990s when a piece of traditional knowledge was patented in the United States. By traditional knowledge, we mean the innovations and practices that were developed over centuries and sometimes millennia that are integral pieces of local cultures and intrinsically linked to indigenous traditions. We are surrounded by patented products every day of our lives. Patents grant the exclusive rights to ideas. The model of our cars, our coffee makers, and the medicine in our cabinets. All of that is patented. So where does the right to patenting end? This question gets to the root of issues of biopiracy, defined as the exploitative practice of obtaining patents on naturally occurring plants and other biochemical or genetic material without fairly compensating the culture or community from which the traditional knowledge originates. The term was introduced by Pat Mooney in 1993, who was, at the time, the executive director of Rural Advancement Foundation International. Determining whether a patent falls under the category of biopiracy begs the question, what should be patentable and by whom? We are going to answer this question in part today by talking about the biopiracy of traditional medical knowledge of herbs and plants with medicinal properties. You might be thinking, how can someone patent a plant if it's a part of nature? People own gardens, they own the specific plants in those gardens, but can one person, group, or company own the rights to that plant? The answer is maybe. In 1997, Dr. Vandana Shiva, a physicist and founder of Navdanya, a movement in India to protect the diversity of living resources, popularized the term biopiracy in her groundbreaking book, Biopiracy, the Plunder of Nature and Knowledge. In this book, she compared biopiracy to the pillaging and cultural erasure that was caused by early colonialism. She writes that biopiracy works to undermine the, quote, original owners and innovators by defining their seeds, medicinal plants, and medical knowledge as nature, as non-science, and treating the tools of genetic engineering as the yardstick of improvement, defining commercialized Western science as the only science, and all other knowledge systems as primitive, end quote. Here is Dr. Shiva speaking at the Global Institute of Sustainability and Innovation at Arizona State University in 2014. So the invention of seed being built into law for me was so outrageous because I'd been working to defend the integrity of species, the intrinsic value of every life form of this planet and to suddenly be told the life forms are inventions. The living seed was being reduced to raw material for the biotechnology industry. Because you don't invent the seed, you take it from somewhere, usually you just steal it. And so much of my life has gone in dealing with what I call biopiracy. Now seed exchange has always happened. Exchange is not piracy. 
But you come to me and you take the seed and then you patent it and say, I created it and now you pay me royalty. That's why piracy. Sadly, this idea of a totally constructed intellectual property in seed and life is being pushed very hard and it is having very high costs. Intellectual property rights on seed, patents on seed are a Ponzi scheme. And that is exactly what happened with the story we are going to dive into today about the case of turmeric and patent 5,401,504, which was granted in 1995 to two researchers at the Medical Center at the University of Mississippi. Their claim argued that they discovered, quote, a method of promoting healing of a wound by administering turmeric, end quote. To most people in India, the notion that this was seen as novel was ridiculous. The use of turmeric in traditional medicinal practices dates back nearly 4,000 years to the Vedic culture in India. Turmeric is quite the versatile plant, used as a treatment for rheumatoid arthritis, chicken pox, urinary tract infections, and even digestive disorders. Not only is it used for its anti-inflammatory properties, but also for its antimicrobial properties and ability to break down bile. It is also used as a dye for fabric and a cooking agent to add color and flavor in traditional Indian dishes. Sure, much of this was recognized by the two researchers in Mississippi in their request for a patent, but none of this was new. There was no discovery or innovation made by either of them. So then, how did turmeric get a patent in the United States? Let's go back in time to 1992, three years before the turmeric patent was granted. The United Nations introduced the Rio Earth Summit on Environment and Development due to international concern that biological heritage was in jeopardy because of economic pressures on developing countries. And as a result, the natural resources that had previously been classified as belonging to the global commons and therefore not subject to property rights were allowed to be used for commercial value. The proposed intent of the UN was that this would encourage third world governments to conserve their biological resources, allowing them to profit from the chemical, pharmaceutical, and biotechnology industries, since that monetary value greatly outweighed the funds gained through utilizing timber and agriculture. At least 7,000 of the most commonly used drugs in Western medicine are derived from plants, so there was reason to believe that these countries could find commercial value from their biologically rich environments. But this isn't what ended up happening. The plants that are used to produce the 7,000 Western pharmaceutical products are worth approximately $32 billion a year in sales worldwide. However, the third world countries that were meant to benefit from these resources, given that those countries are responsible for supplying and maintaining a large portion of them, only receive $551 million in return. Due to global inequities, the result of this decision was further manipulation and appropriation of third world countries and indigenous populations. Times of India, and uh, there was a newspaper report of the wound healing properties of turmeric uh, were patented in United States of America. That was Dr. Marshall Kerr in a 2017 interview. While conducting research for this podcast on the turmeric patent, Maya and I kept coming across his name. 
and his important contributions in combating the biopiracy of Indian traditional knowledge. Dr. Mashalkar was serving as the Director General of the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, CSIR, in India during the 1990s and brought attention to the injustices surrounding the patent that was granted in the United States for turmeric. To legally patent something, even a plant, there are pretty strict requirements that must be met in order to receive that patent. Patent criteria states that an invention must be novel, non-obvious, and useful. But how was this novel? Patents are always granted when there is something new, there hmm. is something novel. They are not granted if three criteria are not met. Novelty, non-obviousness and utility. And I said, obviously this cannot meet it because uh, this has been used for centuries by our ancestors uh, for wound healing and for several other medicinal purposes. So, as the director of the CSIR, he entered into a year-long legal battle with the United States Patent and Trademark Office to demand they revoke the patent that was granted for turmeric. The convincing argument by the CSIR in the trial was that turmeric could not be considered novel and therefore could not be considered a patentable product. Furthermore, they, due to the extensive help of researchers, were able to find 32 references to turmeric's medicinal properties in Sanskrit, Hindi, and Urdu, which helped to prove that it had been used long before the researchers at the University of Mississippi claimed to discover those medicinal properties. Dr. Mashalkar stressed the importance of continuing to protect traditional knowledge, such as turmeric, from biopiracy. He has stated that, quote, India fought the turmeric patent not for financial reasons, but to uphold national pride and to dispel unfounded fears that India was incapable of protecting its traditional knowledge base, end quote. Although there are obvious negative financial consequences of biopiracy, Dr. Mashalkar also stresses the value of these natural resources and traditional knowledge in developing nations beyond a monetary commodity. India has a right to claim the understanding of turmeric as a healing agent because it was a discovery made and passed down within their culture. His work led to the introduction of a new internal patent classification system where subgroups on traditional knowledge were created for the first time. And the World Intellectual Property Organization added information on handling intellectual property that involved traditional knowledge. This was a landmark case because it was the first time in the United States in which a patent of a traditional remedy from the developing world has been successfully overturned. It not only sent a message to other developing countries that there was a move towards protecting and accrediting traditional knowledge sources, but it also led to countries actively documenting their traditional knowledge practices. There is a long trend of Western industry co-opting traditional medicine and repackaging it as Western medicine, both stealing the notoriety and the profits. An important aspect of biopiracy is the trend of a predetermined, westernized, credible witness, speaking for and thereby claiming ownership of discoveries originally made by indigenous populations. This problematic notion of Westerners trying to impose their supposed legitimization of scientific knowledge by speaking for other populations contributes to biopiracy cases 
such as what happened with tumor. This case acts as a proxy to learn how, throughout history, credit was not initially given to the people who discovered the healing properties, but rather to the Western scientists who patented the plant. This idea separates Western medicine from traditional healing practices and attributes a greater value to the former. The importance of focusing on biopiracy as an issue is to force people to see that Western and traditional medicine are inherently linked, even if it is often disregarded by many people in the United States. When taking medicine and herbs from pharmaceutical companies, it's imperative to understand and give due credit to the source of the traditional knowledge that is responsible for necessary discoveries. Addressing issues of biopiracy, such as in the case of turmeric, can give both financial credit and national pride to the indigenous people or developing countries that deserve it. By continuing to bring forward these types of biopiracy cases, indigenous populations can not only gain credit for their discoveries, but also assert the legitimacy of traditional knowledge by showing how reliant Western medicine is on these traditional healing practices. It is worth thinking about the medicinal knowledge that has existed long before our lives and helps to sustain and nourish us every day. It can start here, listening to this podcast, but we hope that you continue learning and recognizing the biopiracy that surrounds us. Where will these mergers stop? Where will this greed stop? Where will this poison stop? We, as people, are going to stop it. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Significant Stories, the History of Science podcast from Harvard University. I'm Judy Durkin. And I'm Maya Zonis. Please listen to the next episode in our Health and Healing series from Chris, who will share the story of his friend Camille and his knowledge of traditional medicine in the country of Djibouti. In this special episode, Chris and Camille have an in-depth conversation that explores a different aspect of traditional knowledge and the local medical treatments of the Afar tribe. Thank you so much for listening.